Welcome to the NatMatSci podcast, brought to you by the National Mathematics and Science College. This is the podcast to let you find out more about NatMatSci by hearing staff and students talking about their experiences, all unscripted and unplugged, so that you can hear what life is really like at the college. Today, we're talking about English as an Additional Language, or EAL, and Charlotte Bayliss is going to open up this world to us. So we're going to find out some of the things students can do to prepare for moving to the UK to learn English, why it's important for students to learn English if they're coming to the UK, and the approach that Charlotte takes in teaching this to students. So join me now as we step into the world of teaching English as an additional language with Charlotte Bayliss. Charlotte, thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's uh, Saturday morning and I'm just sat uh, at home and I'm very happy to be speaking to you. Fantastic. How do Saturdays usually look for you? I mean, without getting too personal, but what, what do you normally get up to at the weekend when you're not at school? Uh, it's very busy because I have very young children. So I was up at six o'clock this morning. Uh, I've already taken them both to gymnastics. Um, and at the moment, they've just gone out to the park while I record this. But usually it's incredibly busy with different activities and walks and swimming. Oh, I see. So you have a very kind other half who's taken the children out to keep the noise down. Is that right? That's exactly it. It would be impossible if they were here. They're two and four. So <laughs> oh, maybe next time we should do an episode with them both. Oh, yes. They'd be very charming. Yes, I'm sure they would be. Charlotte, I'm very keen to understand more about what it is that you do at NatMatSci, but I wonder first of all if you could tell us a little bit about your own education, so where you went to school and what your own experience of school life was like. I went to school up in Manchester, where I'm from, Greater Manchester, and I went to a Catholic uh, secondary school and uh, it was absolutely huge, you know, 300 students in, in a year and I stayed on for the sixth form. And my wow. school life was was great. Um, I worked very hard, so that's my main memory of it. But I still have my best friends from school today. And my A-levels are very different to Natmatsai. I did English literature, history, geography and theology. Oh, wow. So what yeah. led you to choose those ones then? That, that's, those were the subjects I was best at and they're the ones that I most enjoyed. I'm an essays person. I see. Right. Understood. So then what did you do after you left the sixth form? So I went to university up in Scotland, St Andrews, which is a university a lot of our students are actually interested in. And I did medieval history is my degree. Wow. And mm -hmm. St Andrews, uh, certain members of royalty have gone there, of course, haven't they? Yes, uh, I'm giving away my age, perhaps, but that was my year, my year group. William and Kate are actually a year older than me, but they were in my year. So I graduated on the same day. It was very exciting for my family. Oh, wow. No, I'm sure it was. So let's just talk about that for a second. Did you encounter either of them when they were there at St Andrews? Him, yes. At the time, she was very protected uh, from the press. Um, so I'm mm -hmm. sure I saw her, but I, I didn't kind of realise. But you couldn't miss him. He was very tall. And mm -hmm. uh, we had social anthropology lectures uh, together. OK. Was it quite strange having a lecture with a future king sort of sat a few rows away from you? Uh, it was, but I felt most sorry for him because in social anthropology, they showed us a documentary once and a 1970s version of his father, Prince Charles, popped up speaking very awkwardly and the entire <laughs> lecture theatre laughed at Prince William. So I felt oh, I sorry see. for him for that. OK, all right. Well, let's bring it back to Nat Matt's site. What is it that led you to, to, to working at the college? 
I had worked at an independent school um, in the West Midlands for five years being the head of EAL and Mm -hmm. uh, five years is quite a long time you've kind of experienced everything so I was ready to move on and um, I really liked the fact that Nat Matsai was high achieving um, Mm -hmm. but also that it focused on that particular age group Um, so you know between 15 and 19 years old um, which is quite Mm. a enthusiastic age for teaching so so that was what drew me to to go to Nat Matsai. Okay. And how did you first hear of Nat Matsai? Because uh, it, it is a fairly specialist kind of college, isn't it? it it's not like a, a standard sixth form college or, or a sixth form uh, part of, a, a, of any other independent school. Yes, I think I came across it on social media, it might have been. Uh, they've got mm-hmm. quite a good social media presence on, on Facebook. So that's the first time that I'd, I'd heard of it. And obviously it's in Coventry. Um, so that's some mm. distance away from where I actually live. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's how I heard about it. OK, so tell me a little bit about English as an additional language. How does it actually work? Tell us in a snapshot what it is and how it works within Natmatsai. It's simply people learning English and English is not their first language. It is an additional language for them. So you're not learning it like you would French or German GCSE or A-level. You reach a certain mm-hmm. level and then you get a certificate. You're trying to learn it to, to, to learn the language. So you've got a huge mountain to climb. For the students at Natmatsai, they need it because A, they are doing their A-levels at the college in English. Um, Mm -hmm. So they need to be able to cope with all of that vocabulary. But they're also doing it because most of them, if not all, are going to go to university in the UK or the USA. And so they need it for the future. Uh, A lot of them maybe want to work uh, in an international context as well. Um, So they just they need English as a a life skill. So it's vital for them. So it's learning it predominantly to allow them to learn other things within the UK and the US. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. If you had the equivalent A-level to, say, French, it wouldn't be anywhere near enough for what they need. They also need academic English, and that's the hard bit That for a few of them. They may have very good general English, be able to chat, but they now need academic language, academic writing skills, and that's quite tricky. So tell me a little bit more about that. How does that differ to them learning how to converse in English? So, as I'm sure you realise, for conversation, you need confidence. You need to be willing to have a go and make a mistake. You you need someone who's willing to chat with you. For an academic style, you need to think about everything you're saying. Are you using connectives? Are you using the more formal version of words? Some of those words might be new to them. Um, Basically, speaking and writing are the the trickiest things because Mm. you're producing something. And mm. But that's what they need. They need it for their personal statements for university and they need it for the English exam they need to take to go to university as well. Mm. So are there any qualifications that come with learning English as an additional language or is it purely to help students learn other subjects? Yes, there is. there are a variety of qualifications. There's the Cambridge suite of exams. We cover that a little bit, which starts with key and then we, we're at FCE level. And then the main one is the IELTS exam which is the Mm -hmm. internationally recognised exam that most universities use and you have to reach a certain level to be able to get onto the university course. So in which situations would each of these different qualifications be applied or is it something where, where the student has a choice in it? They do have a choice to a certain extent, but generally speaking, all universities accept IELTS. 
and okay. and I find the university staff understand IELTS better, as do our own teachers, our own subject teachers, whereas the other ones are a little bit more obscure. So I find that IELTS is great because there's testing centres around the world, so students can be tested in their own countries as well, and it's and, and as I say, it's recognised everywhere more easily. The problem with IELTS mm. is it only lasts two years, your certificate, and then okay. you'd have to take it again. So some students arrive, they've already taken IELTS that you know they'll need to take it again before they go to university. Oh, I see. I see. And generally speaking, or typically, which countries are the students coming from that are learning English as an additional language? We're very lucky um, that it's so multicultural. It makes the English lessons much easier because you have a mm -hmm. variety of languages. But actually, I couldn't say to you, oh, this one country, that they're better at English than others. It's a real mix um, and some mm. students arrive with wonderful English others not but there's not one particular country where it's more of an issue than others. Okay I see so in that case without generalizing can you give us some of the names of countries where some of your current students have come from? Yeah uh, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Thailand, China, mm. South Korea, Spain you know it's, it's a massive uh, mix of, of nationalities. Gosh that really is isn't it? What can mm -hmm. students be doing in order to prepare themselves before they leave their native country to come over to the UK for when they want to learn English? Just anything and everything, really. I try to emphasise, you know, some people don't like reading a book. You don't need to just read a book. You could go on a website, try and find something you're interested in, whether it's blogs, BBC News. Obviously, it's tricky to practice speaking, but if you do know someone in your own country you can speak English to, then that's great but just as much vocabulary as, as you possibly can and maybe starting to read more academic type texts just to get ready for that jump uh, that you might need to make. So academic texts, what kind of things are we talking about there? Nothing too uh, sort of stressful or scary, but I, if you think about the fact they're going to be doing biology, chemistry, physics, A-levels, economics, maybe just have a look at the GCSE text an exam um, a bit of mm -hmm. course material you can find these things for free on the internet and then uh, you know at least you're introducing yourselves to that to that kind of vocabulary and and the sort of text that an English student would have been exposed to before you come mm. to do your A-levels. And do you find that when students come across from their own countries if they've been trying to learn English in their own country then maybe they've been doing that through watching a bit of tv maybe the tv they've been watching is american tv do you ever find that students come across with a u.s accent in their english yeah i was speaking to someone just the other day about her american accent and there is no explanation her teacher wasn't didn't have an american accent it's just she said she watched so much netflix and tv oh, programs really? <laughs> yeah and and i always say that's great because you know america is you know a great power some of them want mm -hmm. to go there to, for university they don't need to have a british accent you know they sound fantastic so yeah i have no problems with an american accent okay well that sounds very good to hear um what's special about learning english at the college i think a couple of things stand out straight away. One is how small the class sizes are and how much attention mm -hmm. we can give the students. They also have English mm -hmm. lessons every day, which is quite mm -hmm. a lot. And and as I said, what I really like is the mix of nationalities because it means, you know, they're, they speak English to each other. They're not mm -hmm. slipping into their own mother tongue and that really helps them to develop. And then once they've reached a particular level and they have the IELTS score they need, they can have more advanced classes and that's more bespoke 
for whatever is we try our best anyway for whatever it is that they need whether that's mm -hmm. medical interview practice or you know another course it's English literature because that's what they wanted to do so we're lucky that we've got the time that we can offer that support and then when the students start to learn English over here in the UK what level are they typically at before they start to be honest uh very good very good they have to have reached let's it's it's about 5.5 on the IELTS scale which might not mean anything mm -hmm. to you but I, I think mm -hmm. it would to the students it, a lot of sixth forms to start a level mm -hmm. and our students tend to arrive with at least that level if not higher so we're very lucky because you, d you don't tend to have too many low-level students who need a lot of support they tend to mm. be pretty competent um, when they arrive so someone like me who doesn't understand what that 5.5 score actually means give me a little bit of an, an insight into that and and how does that translate into uh, no pun intended with translate by the way but how does that translate into how well they can actually speak what kinds of conversations they could have at that stage so at 5.5, you know, you're able to produce an extended piece of writing. You can write an essay, probably got connectives in with a variety of different tenses. You can cope with general English. So in terms of reading and listening, uh, everyone's different, by the way. Obviously, some people were better at listening or reading than, than others. In terms mm. of speaking, if you were 5.5, you can have a conversation on a, a variety of topics you might not be able to use you know a huge array of tenses you might make mistakes but most english native speakers would be able to kind of have a chat with you you know you, you'd be on top of the basic tenses you'd have enough vocabulary for for most things but maybe not so academic i see right understood and what are some of the typical kind of problems or difficulties that overseas students find when they're trying to learn English? Well, depending on, you know, a lot of our students, they have a very different alphabet. If you think of the way you write Russian or Thai or Chinese, the difference with ours is, is huge. Mm. So writing mm. tends to be a, a massive thing. And then the other thing is, I, I think, uh, accuracy. Once you reach a certain level, people understand you. They're forgiving of your mistakes. Um, and, you know, teachers or other people, they're not going to correct you, but you've got to get it right to, to mm. pass that IELTS exam. Um, you know, little mm. things like somebody might just go around speaking in the present tense the whole time. Yesterday mm. I go. And because you mm. understand that person, you wouldn't correct them. You know, you, you think mm. that would be rude. We do as English teachers, but other mm. people don't. So it's, you know, it's, it's trying to get on top of those little mistakes. He go instead of he goes. That tends to be an issue once they reach a particular level uh, usually listening uh, quite a few when they arrive they say that's the worst thing that's always ends up being the best thing because they listen mm -hmm. in english all day so they mm. that tends not to be an issue that that gets sorted out by osmosis almost reading you need to practice so if you're not much of a reader that's that's hard we have to try and encourage them to do extra reading as much as possible that's really interesting that you mentioned about correcting someone and and as an English teacher of course I think there's an expectation that you would correct them but often in life in general conversation with people that we meet outside of work socially we tend you're right we tend not to uh, correct somebody if we can understand what they're saying is there a duty on us though to actually politely correct somebody so that they do learn and improve in their English language 
I would say only if they asked you to. Generally, the advice we give, because, you know, I give training to the subject teachers as part of my job. Generally, the best thing to do is model the correct English, as you would with a young child as well. So instead of saying, no, no, it was this, you just kind of say it back to them correctly. And then mm. that way, they because you need them to be confident in biology or economics, whatever, to speak. Mm. So if mm. you're correcting them, it's different. In terms of my mm. job, when you first meet a student, you don't know them so well, you, you wouldn't correct them right away. You kind of do of an anonymous correction. So I mm. tend to make notes through the lesson. And at the end of the lesson, I'll say, in the lesson, I heard this. What's wrong with this? And then you're not uh. pinpointing anyone. Mm. And they enjoy the challenge. Oh, this mm. was what was wrong with that. And then mm. later on, when I know them very well, so some of the students I've taught the whole time they've been at Natmatsai, then it's very easy for me to say straight away, what? And then, mm. and then they correct it. But you've got to build mm. that relationship. Yeah, I guess so much of the good stuff in life comes from building good relationships in the first place, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I, so, no, I wouldn't encourage anyone out there to think, I'll correct this person. That will be really helpful because, mm. uh, you know, just ask yourself, can you speak their language? Uh, would you <laughs> yeah. be able to do what they're doing you know that it's important mm. to always remember that what they're doing is extraordinary so tell me when you're not at work I'm this is nothing at all to do with English as an additional language I'd love to know what kind of things you get up to when you step out of the college say it's a Friday afternoon you've finished work how do you normally spend your free time so completely dominated by uh, young children so it <laughs> would have been reading reading books going to the cinema seeing friends that that kind of thing and now it's a lot more you know going for walks i live um near a beautiful part of um the uk so i can lucky enough to go for walks swimming you know it could be theme parks water parks you know it's very much centered around my young children basically young children and partner i'm sure oh yeah yeah he's he's kind of in the same position he's a teacher as well oh lovely perfect so you can both understand each other in that case Another question I'd love to ask you, if you could speak any language overnight and be 100% fluent in it, which would you choose? Uh, it would be Italian, which is the Ooh. language that I can speak a little, but I, mm -hmm. I'm not fluent or anything like that because I, we used to live there. We lived there for four years and mm -hmm. uh, teaching English. And I think it's a beautiful sounding language. And, it, you know, it, it brings back happy memories as well. So it would be Italian. Ah, and what is it about the Italian language that you find so enjoyable? Tell me more about that. I think um, it's the Italian spirit. I think we all kind of know what that means. But when you live there, it's <laughs> even more so the way they speak with their gestures and their body, their whole body and, and the kind of uh, musicality of what they say. I like the fact that they say what is written in front of them very different mm -hmm. to our language so if you learn the letter sounds you can say any word from reading it whereas obviously mm. that's not the case here in English it's it, it's a bit of an odd choice I know because it's one of those languages really only spoken by that one country you know if I learnt Spanish I'd be able to communicate with many more people but it's just it's yeah it's the musicality of the language that I like okay so let me ask you a second choice then and let's imagine that it has to be a non-European language what would you choose then Oh, I think I would choose Chinese. Oh, okay. And um, I've taught so many Chinese students um, over the years, even prior to, to being at Natmatsai, I taught a lot of Chinese students. So you hear it so much. And mm. it's the, it, I think it's the way it sounds so completely different to English. So you have mm. no idea what someone is saying. 
and mm. I think if you if you mastered that you'd feel in, incredibly proud of yourself and the way that you'd be able to speak to people who live all over the world as well uh, mm. so I think I would choose Chinese what a great answer. Fantastic. Well, well, there's a challenge. Maybe after you've mastered the uh, the speaking of Italian, maybe you could switch across to, to Chinese. Charlotte, we need to bring this to a close in a minute. But if people have heard anything and wanted to find out more, what's the best way for them to connect with you or with the college? If you go on to the website, you'll be able to find uh, the email to be able to connect with us. And then there's also Twitter and Facebook. And if there was anything in particular people wanted to ask me, the college would be able to put me into contact with them but my main advice would be just practice 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 and and work on your English before you arrive but we are there to give support to everyone to make sure that they can cope with um, life in the UK perfect okay well thank you for those reassuring words Charlotte thank you for being here thank you for talking to us and opening up the world of EAL English as an additional language thank you very much for having me it's been very enjoyable so that was Charlotte Bayliss talking to us about EAL, English as an Additional Language. Thank you, Charlotte, for giving up your Saturday morning to talk about what you do. It means a lot to us. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with the college about EAL or anything else, then visit www.natmatsci.ac.uk and visit the Contact Us section. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you get future notifications. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.